Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. On this episode of Big Boys Don't Cry, we discuss the film Elf. You don't have to have seen the film to enjoy the podcast, and it's not really a plot-driven film, so it probably doesn't really matter if you haven't seen it. But if you do proceed, just be aware that this podcast contains plot spoilers. Enjoy. The Elf on the Shelf is a lot worse than the film Elf, which is this week's film. I had never seen it before. Because, as I said, um, I, mi- I missed it when it was out the first time around, which was 2003. I think at that point we would have been about 15. So probably the age when you think you're too cool for that kind of thing. But um, a lot of people had seen it or people who had younger siblings maybe or whatever, but I completely missed it. And then when it sort of got started to gain a bit of momentum and cement itself as a relatively modern Christmas classic... Um, my wife had dismissed it, thinking it was vulgar, mainly only on the grounds that it stars Will Ferrell. But we we watched it together, and <laughs> she was she still wasn't impressed. In fact, I think she left the room halfway through, which was, I felt was very unfair. But the, the the beginning is the best when he's an elf and he he's talking with the with the claymation, uh, like christmas animals and stuff like that oh and the the weird snowman and the weird snowman dude i yeah. I, I found the weird snowman quite weird if i must say so <laughs> it was a bit a little bit um yeah a little bit trippy actually the the claymation stuff mm. it was like they'd take they they'd been inspired by one of those bbc animations that they used to do at christmas every year there's that rudolph one where he gets the funny shoes yes yeah yeah it felt like they just tried to shoehorn one of those in to make it more palatable to a a british audience but it ends up being a bit incongruous and weird actually see i really love it um i like the bizarreness of it um because it's it adds that sort of like dichotomy between um the 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 north pole the fantastical north pole and then the realism of the city which I really like. So it splits the two sides very easily. Yeah, I um I got that that was the point of it, I think, but it's still it still kind of creeped me out a bit. I'm coming across I think in this episode like I'm creeped out by a lot of things that are festive, <laughs> which is not which is not true <laughs> at all. Paddy Paddy is a Scrooge. Any form of reindeer, I love it. I'm all over it. <laughs> bring, bring me your reindeer. It's just no no elves on the shelves. And no, anim- no claymation snowmen, please. What that's about a, that's all I ask? What about the walking in the air snowman? How do you feel about that snowman? He's fine. He's all good. I um, I'm almost like the snow dog even more though. You seen the snowman and the snow dog? I have. I don't really care for the snowman and the snow dog though. Oh really? Yeah, I don't. I'm... And you call me a Scrooge? I was watching it and I was like, yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, that, that that was my real reaction to it. Was just a shrug. Um, oh, I I really liked it. I felt like it was a timely contemporary update of a of a children's classic, but threw in a dog. Although the it kind of did miss the point because spoiler alert at the end the snow the snowman melts but and the dog melts as well. But then it turns into a real dog. It's either that or his parents get him a dog for Christmas. 
No, no, he wakes up and the dog's real, and then they go outside and the snowman's melted. Yeah, which is a bit strange. And does the snowman not want to become a real man? I don't think he does. I think he's happy with just... Actually, what do you reckon, like, what... Does he have, like, a spirit that the rest of the year just kind of is floating around doing nothing? Because to, to get to spend a whole all year doing nothing, and then to just come out once a year to fly around and go to the snowman festival and dance and have a laugh... That seems like a pretty good life, to be honest. I would not complain about that. Yeah, that would be pretty good. I'd be all right with that. Um, yeah, I don't know whether he... Um, yeah, mo- maybe he does other stuff the rest of the time. I'm not entirely sure. Snowman business. Yeah. Important snowman business. He just goes and lives on the South Pole. Oh, yeah, that's where all snowmen come from. That, that's, that's scientific fact. Yeah, not the North Pole. We don't South talk Pole. about the North Pole. No, no, no it, it would have to be the North Pole because the South Pole doesn't exist because the Earth is flat. It's in fact the um, the wall of ice that holds everything in on the Earth, whereas the North Pole is in the centre. That's where the snowmen come from. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> I gotcha. <laughs> yeah, that's a very important aspect of um, a flat Earth theory, the, the, the snowman, the snowman conundrum. So is that why so many attempts to reach the South Pole failed? Is because it doesn't actually exist. And yeah. The, the government just kills anyone who tries to get past. Yeah, and turns them into snowmen, sends them to the North Pole. <laughs> this is, we've uncovered a, a great conspiracy here, Paddy. Yeah. And I, I, was, um, I was a bit annoyed that they didn't really deal with it in Elf, to be honest. Yeah, there wasn't enough Flat Earth theory. No. Well, flat Elf theory. <laughs> Nought out of 20, no Flat Earth theory. <laughs> Yep, done. On to the next film. <laughs> Join us for the next episode of Big Boys Don't Cry. Yeah. Of where does this film score on the Flat Earth ranking? <laughs> I think we should do um, a Flat Earth rom-com. Mm. To go along with our right-wing rom-com. Because um, nobody sent us in any right-wing rom-coms, which is a real shame. I feel like... Uh, that either means that they don't exist or that people just don't want to be identified as someone who knows that they exist, which is totally understandable. Yeah, you don't necessarily want to be someone who comes forward and um, and uh, and is like, hey, I know this. However, uh, let's see whether I have just found <laughs> a romantic comedy. Did you type flat earth romantic comedy into Google? Because I, I can't believe I, that we have not done that yet. <laughs> I searched conspiracy theory romantic comedy. Oh no, I don't think it is. The initial uh, description was a romantic movie uh, called Conspiracy Theory, but now it comes up as action mystery thriller. Mm. Uh, called Conspiracy Theory, starring everyone's favourite anti-Semite Mel Gibson. Oh god, not Mel and, Gibson. And and two non-anti-Semites who people generally love, Julia Roberts and Patrick Stewart. Oh. That's not a bad cast, I guess. No. Um shame about shame about Mel Gibson. Yeah. Now if they could get rid of him and replace him with Nicholas Cage, then then you'd be talking. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that would be that would be all right. I'd get behind that. Sorry, do you mind looking at the ceiling? Can you hear me with that? Um, let me, let me, I, I can hear you okay, yeah. 
cool. Because, yeah, yeah, I've just put the phone down because I forgot my little phone tripod thing. I met uh, my parents-in-law now um, ah, until I after see. Christmas. So I brought all my podcasting gear with me, but I forgot that. There wasn't too much of a rush to get to the dog. See, they got a dog. So I'm going to be walking the dog. <laughs> Dogs are inherently festive, too. They are. Dogs are just festive animals. I'm not too sure about cats. Well, dogs don't jingle. Big dogs don't jingle. Oh, that's true. Yeah. We have um, we have bought him some antlers, though. We're going to put them on him on Christmas Eve. Oh, really? That's yeah. brilliant. Which is good. So, Elf. Yes, I had not seen it before, um, and I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really, really good, sort of light-hearted fun, you know. It was... Um, there's not much to it, and it's a, it doesn't necessarily appeal to any kind of. There's nothing sophisticated about it at all. But at this at this time of year, all you want is just a kind of cheeky, funny romp, don't you? And I think I actually wish that I'd almost been able to see it when I was a lot younger, because I think if I was maybe seven or eight around that age, I think I'd have found it absolutely hilarious, and then would have had that nostalgic pull for it later on that you have for other things that you experience when you're that age. Yeah, because I, th- I didn't watch it when I was a young'un either. I mean, it didn't come out when we no. were super young to have been able to take advantage of it. But I didn't see it until I was um, significantly older. Um, and yeah, so it's the kind 92. of film where... Uh, yes, I, I, I went forward in time uh, in order to watch it. Um, but no... Uh, yeah, it was. Um, it's a really fun film. It's it's really fun. There's loads of silly humour which I totally adore. Yeah, as well, um, which I think is very important in the movie. Which is, I think, Will Ferrell's forte. I mean, as I said before, that I think he's definitely a, a misunderstood and a miscast actor, where people think that he's only silly, which isn't mm. true because there are films like you've seen Stranger Than Fiction, right? I, I love Stranger Than Fiction, yeah. I think that's a very, very good and underrated film in which he he puts in a serious and sort of darkly comic performance. But having said that, 95% of his output is abject silliness, and I'm here for it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, Anchorman is overly... is overhyped, overdone, and, you know... It that got it got very very tedious. People quoting Ron Burgundy all the time, but it is quite a funny film. Yeah, it, uh, Anchorman is a classic comedy, but unfortunately, much like the original Austin Powers, um, anyone mm. saying lines from Anchorman is instantly not funny and someone that you should avoid at all costs. I love Lamp. Um, it's <laughs> get out, Paddy. Get out. This is the end of the podcast. <laughs> Groovy baby. That's <laughs> shagadelic. That sounded more Australian. <laughs> it did. Um, Australian Powers. And uh, Austin Powers is a very funny movie, not because of any of the stupid quotable lines, but for that one incredible scene where he's trying to turn around that little car and keeps <laughs> getting it worse and worse, which makes me laugh every single time I watch that film. Yeah, because um, that's that's not the comedy of silliness, is it? That's the comedy of kind of human struggle. Yeah, and it's like it is a very silly film, but it's silly in the right way. Whereas, like the quotable lines are all a little bit cruel and unsavoury. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's a 
I, I really like the first Austin Powers. I think the sequels are absolute trash. But um, I don't think I've seen the sequels. They're awful. People really seem to love the second one, but it's like all of the worst bits of the first one made it into the sequels and progressively made it into the sequels. Yeah. Um, Do you think there's such a thing as a, a film being too quotable? Um, mm, maybe, because... If it's just quotable lines, then you don't any, have any of that like context for it. So if you're just yeah. banking on cons- consistent quotes, um, then yeah, maybe it is at the detriment to the overall um, package. Yeah, I, I wonder if that's if that's something of a curse with um, with Anchorman. Yeah, maybe. And Austin Powers. But I mean, when you when you watch them on their own, they are. Um, they are incredibly funny films still you just yeah. need to you just need to put the context of idiots quoting it out of your mind yeah for sure but luckily elf doesn't really suffer from the the quotability problem although <coughs> i did write down on here that there's a thing where he says that he says to santa that the the um the mall santa because he thinks it's going to be the real santa and it's not he says you sit on a throne of lies <laughs> <laughs> yes just made me absolutely howl with laughter and he says to him, you smell like beef and cheese <laughs> <laughs> oh dear yeah those little it's what ma- what makes elf so good as those little moments um but one thing i would say about elf is i don't know i i picked the movie because you hadn't seen it and i felt like you needed to see it Um, but I wouldn't say it's necessarily romantic and I wouldn't say that the romantic aspect of it is the best. In fact, I'd say it's probably the worst part of the film. Yeah, I would, I would completely agree with that. I I thought the romantic plot was kind of terrible, actually. If anything, it's, it's a really kind of just nothingy subplot. It's, and that, um, works itself out over a couple of quite short scenes where, where suddenly they go from just sort of having this, this strange relationship with work where they're tiptoeing around each other and then they go on a date and then suddenly that's it they're in love and then at the end obviously they're getting they're like together of course but yeah it's it's because it's not a film that relies on that at all it is just the romantic plot is only there to move on the the main plot which is about him bonding with his dad and then eventually having to save christmas when santa crashes his sleigh but yeah, yeah. It was interesting. I haven't seen a film or thus far in this podcast. We haven't discussed any films where the romantic plot was so secondary, or even perhaps tertiary. I'd go as far as saying mm. it was just something that was kind of chucked in. But at the same time, it was still kind of cute. I do, I do like Zoe Deschanel, and I do have a lot of time for her, um, even though she she broke Ben Gibbard's heart. Obviously, <laughs> I'd. Um... Yeah, I I wouldn't say that I enjoy the. I I think it's a very difficult romance because it's a creepy man child, and that's what he is. He's a creepy man child. Um, this is more difficult than um, than uh, Big, for instance, and the issues. I with did the make me think of that. Big. This whole this whole film did made. I, I I feel like it was definitely inspired by Big. Yeah. Um, and um 
and it's it's kind of worse than that and also it all gets kicked off by weird creepy guy turns up at department store and is weird and creepy uh the next scene that these two people are together he's gone into the shower with her and is singing along alongside her um yeah and I, then, that scene did and make then me su- feel quite uncomfortable actually and, and then suddenly it's like oh okay yeah maybe he's all right and maybe yeah. he's all right because he seems like such an absolute child. I don't know what there was that kind of drew Zoe Deschanel to him from a romantic angle. Yeah, it's really not clear like, what what she's getting out of it, really. Like, does she just need to be loved or why she's kind of accepting of his creepiness? She's, she just seems kind of quiet and bemused the whole time. And she's an incredibly passive character. And obviously, though, until the moment where she stands up and leads the crowd in a sing-along, which is great. And that's a very cutesy moment. Yes. And that almost redeems the kind of the strange passiveness of her character. But yeah, her the, her character is very, very strange. And it feels like she is probably kind of just there to, to look pretty and provide some some more aspects of building up the kind of the, the comedy of him being a man-child, a creepy man-child which is really the film is mostly just a bunch of set pieces of him being a, a funny man child and that's where all of the humor comes from but it still manages to pull it off because there's ju- there are just enough threads that pull through that that it just about works i'd say yeah yeah i think yeah it just about all pulls together and i think it's what really holds the film together incredibly well is the um is the insistence on having those little montage scenes every so often of how Elf Will Ferrell um, like interacts with the r- normal world? Yeah, um, like the one when he goes into um, into the coffee shop that says "World's Best Coffee" and he's like, "Well done, guys! You did it! World's yeah. Best Coffee!" <laughs> yeah. I absolutely love that. Like, that is so so charming, and it's such a a positive film in that sense. It's so. It's kind of just very, very naked. It's very nakedly saying, you know, we could all use a bit more kind of positivity and joy in our lives. And it's about that kind of loss of childhood innocence, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and it, and it, and and that's exactly right. It is about it's a coming of age movie, um, as much as it's a fantastical comedy about an elf shuffling down to New York City, and. Um, uh, and and finding life and finding biological fatherhood and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and, James Kahn. Shall we talk about James Yeah, Kahn? let's talk about James Kahn. First uh, time we've ever talked about him on this podcast, which is not surprising, I guess, considering his, his history in film. Um, recently, he's been in a film called Sicilian Vampire. Are you aware of this film? No. <laughs> They um they talked about it on the flop house. Apparently, it's absolutely terrible, and it's made by this guy who's a a bit of a kind of um, horror film Tommy Wiseau type. Oh my! He's got a lot, he's got a lot of money, and he's making terrible films. But he sometimes gets big actors in them, and James Kahn is in it for some reason. That's amazing. Like, uh, I'm I think having sim- a look similar at to Bobby De Niro, he's like gotten to the age now. I think where he doesn't give a fuck anymore. Having a look at it, he is fourth on the bill behind Vittorio Altamare, Armand DeSante, and Daniel Baldwin, a.k.a. the worst of the Baldwins. Oh, there's a Baldwin in it? <laughs> there Alex? is. Come on. Um, the best of the Baldwins is Billy Baldwin. Alec Baldwin. Billy Baldwin? Yeah, he was the heartthrob one um, in the late I 80s, early that. 90s. He was like the heartthrobby one. 
um, in movies like um, Sleepers and stuff like that. Oh, okay. Um, and then Alec Baldwin is the acclaimed actor, but also a bit of a major dick. Um, and then there's Daniel yeah. Baldwin, who is who is the worst. And I don't know if there's a fourth one. There, there is yeah, a fourth one, isn't there? There's Stephen Baldwin, who is the one who was in um, The Usual Suspects. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was aware of Alec and Stephen, but not only vaguely of Daniel and Billy. Yeah, Billy, Billy underrated Baldwin is old Billy. Yeah, interesting. Why is Alec Baldwin a dick? What did uh, he do again? Uh, various dickish things. Because his podcast is all right. I listen to that every now and then. Um, he's uh, Yeah, he's just a bit of a dick. Um, you don't like his face, I'm guessing. I mean, I love him as an actor. I'd watch anything with him in, but I don't think he's someone who I'd like to meet in real life. Um, no. there's, an, there's an aggression behind him, which I'm not entirely comfortable with, I think is the main You're right, thing. actually. Yeah, he definitely seems like an angry man. Um, so I think maybe he needs an elf on his shelf <laughs> to, ke- yeah. to keep him in line. If if anyone needs an elf on his shelf, if anyone needs to be teabagged by an elf, it's him. <laughs> <laughs> oh it was teabagging okay okay yeah um i i thought there was something well i there was clear implications that something sexual was going on but i was like mm, i don't know but i don't think i want to know um anyway yeah. james khan a brilliant name james khan excellent name um not not to be confused with james khan the entrepreneur who appeared in the first two seasons of the british tv show dragon's den no but i would love it if it was the same james khan yeah um but yes, I haven't seen... I see that he's been in a lot of movies, and he's continuing to be in a lot of movies, including one called Undercover Grandpa. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> um, which that came sounds out, even worse than Dirty Grandpa. Came out this summer. Um, and I don't know why we've not watched it. That sounds incredible. Um, but uh, has been in some of the greatest movies of all time. Um, offhand... I really love Rollerball. I don't know if you've seen Rollerball. Uh, um, no, I don't believe I have. It's a great sort of prototype for the likes of Battle Royale um, or The Running Man, that kind of thing. It's all about this super duper violent sport that's kind of like a mixture of roller skating and um, like roller derby uh, hockey, but with like motorbikes and spikes and knives and stuff. Um, and it, the film's all sort of like based around this subtext that this ultraviolent game is being used to like suppress the population in a fa- uh, in like a fascist state kind of thing, or in wow. like a, a state that's slowly becoming more fascist, and it's got those sort of like interweaving ties of capitalism and fascism and all of that kind of stuff. It's a sounds, very sounds good. It's a very clever movie, um, hugely controversial at the time, released in the mid seventies. Um, but I mean, by today's standards, it's relatively tame. Um, but yeah, it's a great film. Um, had a terrible remake uh, back in the early 2000s with Val Kilmer. Oh, no. Um, which which is worth a watch. But yeah, the original film's really good. Um, but then obviously, like James Caan, Godfather, um, mm-hmm. is a, yeah, he's just he's just great, great actor. Um, he's and he's very good. And he's brilliant in this movie, isn't he? I would say, yeah, his performance, although Will Ferrell's performance is hilarious and is the central thing of the film. But James Caan's performance makes it because his, his, he knows that he's there to be antithetical to the man-child character and he does it with real gusto. And, and it's really hilarious that he's like a crooked children's publisher. It's, really like, it's quite a bizarre um, thing to have as a villain because, 
you know, I, I work in children's publishing and nobody that I know in children's publishing is crooked. But, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's New York, you know, maybe things are different across the pond. Paddy, are you crooked? Are you the crooked one at your publisher? Yeah, I, oh, yeah, that's, that's, that's what they say. It's like, if you can't think of the crooked person at your publishing group, it's, it's you. <laughs> um, the one who smelt it, dealt it. Are you, are you, um, so... I, I, because one of my favorite movies, I think we've talked about it on the podcast before, is Death to Smoochie. Oh, um, great film. And I always imagined that like publishing would be the same kind of deal as as kids TV, with lots of crookedness going on. Yeah, well, if you if you were to believe James Khan's performance in Elf, it's definitely very very true. Um, but yeah, so when um, when Elf Will Ferrell, creepy man child, that's to give him his his full name shows up at the offices of his dad's publisher they think he someone's ordered him a christmasogram which is very very funny and i it made me think that like something like the the whole gram thing that's not really done in this country either because they there's obviously the the sexy sax man on youtube sergio flores he's the saxogram yeah and they're always like who ordered the saxogram but i've never known anyone to order anyone in anything a gram in, in no real life. where's my where's my paddyogram oh it's it's right here, it's right here. Yeah. <laughs> I want no, you to that turn up. To be, want you to turn up to be and... someone else, like playing me, showing up at your okay, house. Okay, I want you me. to hire someone to pl- to to dress up as you, but with a fake beard. I don't want them having grown a real beard. It needs to be a fake replica of your beard. Um, to turn Kinda up like, at my work. Um, have you seen the disaster artist yet? No, I haven't. It it, uh, it, okay. it seems to have had a you. load of screenings in um in London. But in the rest of the UK, it seems to have just not had anything. So I'm hoping that our local art house cinema gets it after Christmas because oh, they yeah. often get those kind of films where they're like the smaller releases um, in larger cinemas, uh, particularly the sort of more left field ones like The Disaster Artist. It normally gets them a few a few weeks or a month afterwards. Yeah. Um, so I'm hoping it turns up then because I'd love to see it in the cinema, having been you know such a fan of The Room. Yeah, well, I, was, I won't spoil it for you, but I was going to make the comparison of um, Dave Franco's beard. Um, and he plays Greg Sestero, and the the beard, it looks really... I think it is real, but it looks like it's stuck on. And I think it's kind of deliberate, but it's oh, really, yeah. really funny. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get Dave Franco to play me and to come to your house and pretend to be me. <laughs> That's amazing. In return, I'll get Tommy Wiseau to play me <laughs> and turn up at your work. And... Yeah, he'll slick his hair back. Wear a Christmas jumper. This cat. I don't know I if can, you can I see. I can see her. She's she, she's trying she's trying to eat the um the headphone cable. She she loves cables. <laughs> she's an, she's I mean she's clearly intelligent in a lot of ways, but she's also she an abs- is she's a an proper absolute, podcast troll. She's an absolute moron. Um, yeah, oh, Mini. I think absolute. you've just summed up cats. <laughs> yeah, I think so. She, Not the musical. I was I was about to say she's also an absolute bellend, which I think also sums up cats. If any animal was going to be described as a bellend, it would be cats. Yep. <sighs> Look at her. Aww. It's going to be yeah. She's I'm very. She'll calm down. She is a lovely cat. She's the loveliest cat I've ever met. Yeah. And like but... I've. Oh. <laughs> um. So, I... James Khan, I think his. Yeah, his portrayal of, of the as the crooked publisher dad is great, and then obviously, eventually, 
he realizes after his his large adult son goes missing that he needs to go he needs to leave his very important meeting which they will only do now and not do at any other point and not reschedule even though it's christmas and go and find his large adult son and and lose the deal which he does so obviously he he learns the error of his ways and learns to become a fun and festive person but again um the his wife is really is really interesting as well because she is kind of incredibly kind to the to the large adult son for no apparent reason really I yeah. mean, she she could be like get the hell out of my house but she welcomes him in and doesn't mind that he puts maple syrup on his pasta and stuff you know yeah i find her character to be one of the most interesting parts of the film and one of the funniest parts of the film because she is so relaxed about everything um which i find incredible so like james khan comes home and he's like oh it turns out that i have an illegitimate love child that i didn't know about and she's just like oh, okay let's bring him over let's have dinner so, with him yeah get him in <laughs> and and then when he's there uh she's like so would you like to stay with us and, and he's like okay <laughs> and uh yeah she's just incredibly patient throughout the whole thing um and i think yeah it's one of one of the most interesting characters in like a kid's film because it's like it's really weird the way that she acts but like just that sort of kindliness to her is just really infectious and you really want that family to sort of like gel together yeah it really makes you root for them as a family unit in a way that you weren't before because before it was just about the man child and his father and then once you make it about the rest of the family it makes you yeah think about the kind of the familial element of the christmas story i suppose but yeah she, she's she's really good who's the actress again oh um let's I can't remember I have, off the top of my head. I recognised her, but I've totally forgotten. And then you have the other, the other son, the young teenage son, who yes, is obviously yeah. embarrassed by his sudden man-child, elf-dressed older brother showing up and running around and stuff. And again, that's <laughs> done quite well, I think, by the kid actor. Um, Mary Steenbergen is her name. Ah, uh, okay. Um, also in uh, with Will Ferrell in uh, Step Brothers. Um, I've not seen that. Which is all right. It's kind of a bit Will It's um, John C. Riley, right? Yes, it is. Yeah. I love John C. Riley. He He's is great. absolutely hilarious and someone who I think can almost do no wrong. Have you seen him as Dr. Steve Brule? No, no. Oh, it was um it's a character he played on the Tim and Eric show. Oh right. You ever see you seen the Tim and Eric show? I, I don't know if I've watched it, but I know the name of it, yeah. I've it was one of, of those like um adult swim shows it's it made the name of yeah tim tim heidecker and eric wareheim eric wareheim is um he's the best friend in master of none okay yeah um and he's very very funny they're both hilarious and it's a lot of quite weird sketches some of which you've probably seen um on youtube as they float around but john c Riley plays a character on like a a food show and or kind of like a life coach tips guy called dr steve brule and he is it's unbelievably funny. It was the first thing I ever saw of his, and then whenever he kept, kept cropping up in films, I'd be like, "Ha, it's Doctor Steve Brule." <laughs> oh right, okay. Uh, I take it that you, when he was in, um, oh, what's it called, the really depressing movie, Carnage. Uh, we need to talk about Kevin. Oh god, um, yeah, yeah. You were just like, ah, it's him. I, I, I kind of was, but that film was so. It was done in such a bleak way that. It, yeah, even then, I couldn't. I couldn't bring myself to laugh at, at Doctor Steve Brule. 
I think I, it was. I haven't read the book, so I can't say whether it was a good representation of the source text. But to me, it it landed as a very, very bleak and shocking film that I never want to see again. Yeah, I didn't enjoy the movie as much, but I had already read the book, and I think it doesn't quite. the The book has a very different feel to it, in that the entire thing feels like very much focused on an unreliable narrator, um, right. and it's all framed as these letters to her dead husband. Um, spoiler alert, the husband is dead, by the way. Sorry if you were going to watch a movie from, the what, six, seven years ago? Yeah. Or, or read a book from older than that. Um, sorry about that, everybody. Um, but yeah, uh, and it's all framed around the, these letters to her husband, um, which doesn't quite come across as well in the film, because in the film, you can't do the same level of unreliable narration. There's that kind of immediate belief in what you're, that what you're seeing in front of you is a real representation of the facts. Yeah, um, they tried think... to do it by having like Tilda Swinton, whose performance was very arresting, and I think mm. she's a great actress as yeah. well. But yeah, they tried to do it by showing her doing stupid things and getting things wrong and seeming like she was on drugs, and by having her character be kind of hazy and washed out. But yeah, it's that that's never going to make the same leap as unreliable narration, I guess. Yeah, it didn't it didn't quite work. Um, as as hard as it tried to, and I I understand that it is a good film, but I just it just didn't r- hit the right notes for me. Yeah. Um. Unfortunately. Um. Because yeah, I really wanted to to like it. I really loved the original book. Yeah. Um, but John C. Riley's performance in that was very very good. So mm. he proved to me that he can do very very serious and bleak stuff as well, whilst also being a comic genius. Yes. And he is in the incredible Kong Skull Island. Which I, I don't have not seen that. It, it's awesome. <laughs> you should definitely watch Kong Skull Island. As stupid as it sounds, it's an incredibly entertaining and actually often very, very pretty film. Um, oh. Yeah, it's totally worth watching, even though it looks really awful. Or, or the name like sounds really a, a little bit Mega Shark versus Giant Octopus. <laughs> yeah. it is just another King Kong movie. But um, it's a yeah, it's a good one. It, it's much it's much more interesting than you initially would expect from the trailers. Well, it's got it's got big monkeys in it. What more do you need? Well, exactly. You know, um, that 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 is the highlight of any movie is monkeys going angry. Um, yeah. I went I went to watch uh, the the Planet of the Apes first reboot movie solely because the trailer showed me a a gorilla jumping at a helicopter. <laughs> and th- and that was enough for me. It's like I get to see a gorilla attack a helicopter. I'm fine with this movie. See, when when the Planet of the Apes reboot started happening, I I dismissed them as looking like an intergalactic PG tips advert. But <laughs> I think I may I may be wrong about that because I keep hearing very very good things about them from you know respectable film critics. Yeah, that they're all right. Um, I think they're they're really good given that they're a story about super intelligent monkeys taking over the world. Um, so you, they hit much higher expectations than you'd want from a film like that. So they're, they're good movies, but I wouldn't go as far as a lot of people say about them being like really powerful dramas. They don't have that resonance with them. Right. I guess it's because they look totally dumb that maybe yeah. the expectations <laughs> yeah. are lowered. Yeah, that's definitely... so many yeah. of them as well. I feel um, like there's been one every year for the past six years. Rise of the Planet of the Apes and Dawn of the Planet of the Apes and Bum of the Planet of the Apes. Did you know that there was there was I think there was four or five original Planet of the Apes movies. There wasn't just Planet of the Apes of Charlton Heston. 
Blimey. That's the only one I've seen, and it was a very long time ago. Um, they made a lot of terrible sequels to that one. Um, the second one ends with someone detonating a super bomb that blows up the world. Oh. Um, and it's just like, <laughs> okay. oh, down or ending. Um, and then How the can other we ones come back from that. And then one? the other ones are well. like prequels. <laughs> so oh, it's like, okay. well, we need to keep. Right. We just we need to keep getting blood out of this stone. Um, and yeah, right. Um, but yeah, the, the the originals are a bit terrible. The first one's all right, but I think I think the best Planet of VH related thing is the Troy McClure musical from The Simpsons, which I still <laughs> yeah. wish was a full length musical that I could go and see. Yeah, can you play the piano anymore? Yes, you can. Well, I couldn't before. Doctor Zeus, Doctor Zeus. Yeah, that that gets me every time. You finally made a monkey out of me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would definitely go and see that. Yeah, uh, I yeah, I'd be all over that if that was on stage. Um, I don't understand why they haven't done it. They've done like a Spider-Man musical. I know. Elf is a musical that's on stage yeah. right now. Yeah, yeah. Like one of my friends is in it. Oh, I really? Think. Oh, cool. Play, playing, I think, James Caan's character's wife. Ah, excellent. The mother character, I think. I, I hear good things about that as well. Oh, cool. Should have gone I don't it. know how you, could, um, how you could do it without Will Ferrell. No, and his performance as Buddy really sort of like is the glue that holds the whole movie together. Um, and it's like, it's part of like, uh, the fact that he is clearly an old man trying to play a youthful elf. Yeah. Um, and yeah, he, and he does look quite old in this movie as well. It's fair to say. How old was he at the time? About 40? I don't know. He looks like he must be in his thirties, I think. Yeah. And he's quite an old looking guy anyway. Yeah. Not, not in like a sort of looks like an old bloke but his face is is kind of aged isn't it even as a young man he's he's just, he's sort of a distinguished looking person isn't he he's got a face that lends itself well to to age yeah like if you look at him now he looks like a distinguished gentleman yeah he looks like a, a former president or something <laughs> he's got a touch of the jimmy carter about him actually yeah yeah i, I could see him Getting into his 90s and running a peanut farm, for sure. So he was um, born in 1967, Will Ferrell. Okay. Um, and then this movie came so out he's in 50 2000. Now. And th- yeah, and it came out in 2003. So yeah. So, um, so, so yeah, he was in his, in his mid-30s at the time. Um, and yeah, he looks, he does look very old. And that's a big part of like the humor, which I'm sure was intentional. Um, yeah, as like as a guy in his thirties, like acting like a child, dressing in an elf outfit, uh, struggling. Yeah, even just the physical comedy of his costume and his gait and everything is very very funny. Especially the scenes where like the early scenes where he's trying to shower in the elf sized bath and stuff. Like it's it's silly, but it did it did make me chuckle. Yeah, yeah, but again, it comes down to that kind of innocent. It's it's not. It's it's not humour at anybody's expense, unlike a lot of dumb slapstick stuff that comes up in these kind of films, where it's all a bit cringy. It's just completely innocent humour uh, that just works incredibly well. That's a really good point, actually, yeah. Because if, it, if it's at anyone's expense, it's at Buddy's expense, really. Yeah. Like, he's usually the butt of the joke, but you don't feel like he's having too hard a time because he's so he's so joyful. 
and it, it, it walks that line quite well, I think. Because obviously, yeah, there are moments when, yeah, obviously the, the dad's mean to him and obviously, yeah, eventually he, he leaves and he's going to go away because I can't even remember why because is it because the dad's mean to him? I, I forget. Yeah, the dad is... It, they've had the meeting with Peter Dinklage. Oh, yeah, um, of course. Which, which again... Call me elf one more time. And and yeah. again, although it's it, that could easily have been jokes at the expense of dwarfism and that kind of stuff, but within the context of the movie, it's still jokes at Buddy's expense and it's still jokes at his fish-out-of-water scenario. Um, yeah. Which, which works you, you so much better. You know that he's like... Because he's implying that that dwarfism is funny, that Peter Dinklage's reaction is like absolute outrage, and everyone's like, "You can't do that." That yeah, that it's it's in no way laughing at dwarfism. Yeah, um, it, it's again his understanding of the world and his understanding of the context of real world, um, like discrimination is completely not there, um, and that's where the humor comes from. And then him getting beaten up by Peter Dinklage, um, which is is very funny. Yeah. As well. Um, and and Peter Dinklage at this time wasn't like a big name guy. No, um, he wasn't. He hadn't he hadn't had his like breakthrough performance or anything like that. Um, it was well before the the games of the throne. Yeah, so well before throne games, which I believe is what it's called. <laughs> oh, sorry, did I did I get it wrong? Yeah, it's 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 throne games, Paddy. Well, we're about to get a lot of emails from angry fans. Um, a song of uh, iciness and and heat. I believe it oh, is. Based I thought on a it was book. a song of nice fire. <laughs> a song of nice fire. Um, yeah. uh, books by George H. H. Holmes. Um, <laughs> George H. H. Tolkien. <laughs> um, so, so in terms of Peter Dinklage, this came out the same year as The Station Agent, which is a film I really love. Um, which I don't know if you've seen, Paddy. I have um, not. It would be right up your street. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so uh, Peter Dinklage uh, moves to like rural, I think it's New Jersey it is. He, he moves to rural New Jersey um, and and ends up becoming friends with um, with this guy who sells hot dogs and this really upbeat woman. And, and it's a really nice kind of mumblecore-esque film. Oh, cool! Um, with, uh, you, with you had me at hot dogs, if I'm honest, <laughs> and then had you again at Mumblecore, um, with with Patricia Clarkson in it, who I think oh, we're great. both huge fans of her. Um, yeah, she's appeared in quite a few films that we've discussed. Yeah, actually, she has a suspiciously large number. Yeah. Um, welcome to the Patricia Clarkson cast. <laughs> yeah, make sure you keep Patricia on that, and not just the Clarkson cast, because we all know where that would end up. <laughs> um. With uh, Kelly Clarkson, I imagine, Paddy. I don't think you'd be referring to a bull yeah, bag who no. drives lots of cars. <laughs> it, would, it would just be an hour and a half of us going, Since you've been gone, <laughs> I started to cough there in the middle of it. I apologise in advance. That's quite all right. Are, are you under the weather as well? Have you got the... the a little illness? bit, yeah. yeah. It's that time of year. Everyone's got a bit of a cold. Yeah, I am. Uh, I am unwell. I I had a cold earlier in the month, and I thought, oh, okay, I've got my cold out there. But then this morning, I woke up with a throat like razor blades, and oh, it's like, man. oh no. So I'm hoping I get over it in time for Christmas. We've still got a few yeah. days. Yeah, yeah, you still got a few days. You're into the the chill time now. I think. Yeah. Or well, when do you when do you finish work? I finish work tomorrow. Um, I have okay. no days off additional, um, to cool. the bank holidays. 
Um, no, I did. I didn't either. But we, um, our company, gave us tomorrow off and the days in between as well. So, oh, that's really nice. That's nice. They're a non-crooked publisher. That's that's good. Yeah, you guys don't find books with a printing error and just sell them still. And be like, just ship them anyway, man. As if that's not going to come back and bite you on the ass. No, that, <laughs> that would definitely not go wrong at all. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, so uh, where were we with regards to Elf? He, he gets beaten up by Peter Dinklage and then he goes off and he's sad. And then dad and other son go and look for him. And then Santa crashes his sleigh and he needs to save Christmas. If, if you're doing a Christmas film, there has to be a saving Christmas plot, right? That's how it works. That is how it works. Yeah, you have to save Christmas somehow. Yeah, so they, they did that well by having him fix the sleigh. And then... It's, they need to power the sleigh with um, people singing Christmas carols. So Zoe Deschanel gets the chance to remind us all that she can sing and gets up on the um, on the sleigh and leads everyone in a, a song, sing song of Santa Claus is coming to town, which is quite a nice moment. And I can imagine that like if you had a smaller child who's probably like three, four or five or around that age, maybe at that point, you'd all join in and sing along as a family and it would be very cutesy and you'd be like, yay, we saved Christmas. Indeed, indeed. I, th- I think that's what it was aiming for. Yeah. Um, and and yeah, it's it's fine. Um, it's it's a schmaltzy ending to a movie that was probably going to get a schmaltzy ending, and it's yeah, not it's course. not the worst one out there. It's not as bad as uh, this. This movie reminds me a lot of that terrible Arnold Schwarzenegger Christmas movie, uh, Jingle, Jingle All the Way. <laughs> What do you mean, terrible? I, I am Turbo Man. Um, that movie feels like a betrayal, primarily because there's a scene where an old woman is fighting with Arnold Schwarzenegger for something to do with Turbo Man. And the Arnold Schwarzenegger of old would have um, punched her, and that would be the end of it. But there is no such punching. And I feel like, Arnold, what are you doing? You, you have not beaten up anybody in this film yet. Has um, he betrayed you? And yeah, that that feels like a betrayal. If there's an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie where at some point he doesn't at least pull out a gun, um, that is unacceptable. Yeah. Um, so although he does, um, he he gets into a fight with lots of Santa and elf people, um, and then he does punch a reindeer, which is a good moment. Overall, yeah. it's distinctly non-Arnold Schwarzenegger, Arnold Schwarzenegger film. It's a shame. He he really does disappoint me at Christmas, but I still love Easter, baby. <laughs> uh. I, I couldn't resist. It's too easy. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Um, but yeah, so so that that's the end of the movie, and then you yeah. find out that Will Ferrell, uh, Buddy the Elf, has gone off to become a successful children's writer. Um, Oh yeah, James James Khan has gone off to form his own company, and now he's got a heart of gold, and he's back on the good list. Um, and Zoe Deschanel and Will Ferrell have a kid, and it's just like, wow, okay, that worked out inexplicably. That's right. I forgot about all of those details because it's such an unplot-driven film that none of that stuff <laughs> was really important. And it isn't once I got there, I was like, once the song, the cutesy sing song was done, and there were to be no more comedy set pieces, I was like, that's it, the film's over. You know, and it only yeah. takes literally about two minutes to kind of tie up all those loose ends and just show them having having cutesy fun with their with their kid and dealing with the fact that their kid is the son of a man child, which it doesn't do. Yes, 
<laughs> and and it is interesting um in a lot of movies like this um there would be an attempt to um to like have a like coming of age where they grow and they learn and they become more adult and they earn responsibility and that kind of stuff and that doesn't happen in this film <laughs> no hell no um, that's not the point of this film at all it's it, in fact it's, it's one of the least plot driven films ever really it's just yeah like yeah. I said it's just a bunch of comedy fun pieces and w- would it be fair to say that buddy the elf is the manic pixie dream girl of this movie uh, yeah. th- the manic elfy dream man <laughs> manic elfy dream man um, yes, because because it Definitely. is that kind of arc where he comes in and changes everybody else's lives with his out there uh, ideals and and helps remove their cynicism um, through his beauty and his grace and his yeah. elfish ways. He's a very unrealistic character placed on a pedestal. Yeah, yeah. we need to um, shut that shit down. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that this is going to be the next thing that the alt right goes after, isn't it? It's like, we hear all you feminists talking about the manic pitsy dream girl trope. Well, what about the elfish male trope? Why aren't you talking about that? What about to elves? Checkmate feminists. (laughs) Says Sargon of a cad. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you think the manic pixie dream girl is bad, but the the elf man does this. Let that sink in. Yeah. My my favourite one of those kind of things recently is um, a few people have been doing blackface again because apparently that's still a thing in 2017. Mm-hmm. And the response of people on the right wing has been, well, what about that movie White Chicks that came out 10 years ago? <laughs> that, literally the only film ever that one where movie they've done Whiteface. White, yeah, that one movie, White Chicks, apparently is the same as years and years and years of blackface and discrimination, um, which I find hilarious. Um, and yeah, that's literally been the response for, for these numerous um, episodes of, of blackface in 2017. Um, Ugh, and it's just Christ. like, you, you fucking idiots. Well, let's hope that that shit dies in 2018 along with everybody who's done blackface let's hope they die yes they could they can get in the bin with the bin juice and drown in the bin juice drown in the bin juice (laughs) which is the name of my heavy metal band drown in the bin juice or get in the bin and drown in the bin juice no drown in the bin juice it's like um like drowning pool in fact (laughs) The band Drowning Pool, what they what the name actually refers to is a pool of bin juice. That, that little, is exactly little known right. fact. <laughs> Let the In bin fact. juice hit the floor. <laughs> the bin juice hit the floor. Yeah, I was going to say if you if you listen closely, people think that it's it's let the bodies hit the floor, but it's it's a misheard lyric. It's actually let the bin juice hit the floor. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. great song! Yeah, something's got to give. Something's got to give. Something's got to give. Bin juice. That's what's got to give. <laughs> oh, good song. Hey. So, what else do we have to say about Elf? Oh, yeah, he dances. He he goes to work in the post room, um, which isn't as joyful as it seems. But, of course, he brings joy to the post room very quickly. He and does. they end up doing, within a couple of hours of him, they're all dancing on the table to Whoop, There It Is, which is a hilarious <laughs> song that and should only, only ever be used in the context of a stupid dance routine in a stupid film. 
Yeah, that that's a great scene. And his the little friendship that he makes with the guy down in the post room is another one of those moments of this film that I absolutely love. Yeah. Um and it's, it's joy. Yeah, it's really good. Pure joy. And and uh, that's that's the general emotion of this movie, really, isn't it? It is a joyful film. It brings people joy. Yeah. Um and, and that's, you know, not to be sniffed at. Whoop, there it is. Such a terrible song. <laughs> Whoop, there it is. Like there's what? What is it? There is I guess if I'd actually bothered to listen to the rest of the lyrics, then maybe I'd find out. Paddy, but... that song is just five <laughs> minutes of that on repeat. <laughs> Whoop, there it is. Or I think it's actually Whoop. Whoop. Yeah. Whoop. Oh, Whoop. W-H-O-O-M-P. Oh. Whoop, there it is. <laughs> oh, um, yeah, it's... It, it, but it's a the the song fits that scene perfectly, doesn't it? Yeah, it's just and the, exactly again the, the, the right. physical comedy of him dancing as the as the big elf man child. You know, there's 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 a lot of humour to be found in that, and that's kind of a different level. It's not just the comedy derives from his physical comedy, but also from his joyful situation and his rubbing up against the cynical world, and it's all good, really. Like there are bits where I don't know, I've. I'm torn as to whether you could say maybe they could have tried a little bit harder with stuff like the romantic subplot to make it feel like not as tacked on or to try and, you know, work on the the family dynamic or whatever to give it just a little bit of depth. But ultimately, it's a silly film for kids. So it'd be it'd probably be pretentious to try and assess it in those terms. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, So, yeah, it's just it it is a kid's film. There's no getting around that. Um, but it has bits that tickle the funny bones of adults as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, and yeah, it's it's just... Go watch it, guys. It's great. Yeah. Although, yeah, they, they could definitely lose the scene where Zoe Deschanel's in the shower and they end up inadvertently singing a duet of Baby It's Cold Outside, which is one of my least favourite Christmas songs. Uh, I, that's that's much worse than Christmas wrapping by the waitresses. I did see um, something that immediately redeemed Baby It's Cold Outside today, um, where yeah. if you listen to it from the context of She's a Werewolf, um, <laughs> <laughs> it becomes that much better. Yeah. Um, and that's why She's she has to, to leave. Him. She's trying to save him from being eaten by a werewolf, but his creepy nastiness is is Her mother will start happening. to worry because her mother's also a werewolf. Yeah, and they need to go on the prowl together. Yeah. Yeah. That's a very annoying, sleazy song. And I also, yeah, it's similar to Santa Baby, which I also don't like. Yeah, I don't mind Santa Baby as much. But again, it's got that kind of like, haha, sexy Christmas thing going on. And like, yeah. If anyone's seen me at Christmas, it is not a sexy occasion. I'm yeah, full I don't, with food. I don't find Christmas sexy. I'm full but, with food. I'm half asleep. Um, yeah, <laughs> I'm. I'm about to play Monopoly and lose and get angry about it. I'm singing. That, does, the songs that doesn't from, say sexy. I'm singing the songs from Muppet Christmas Carol. There is, yeah, yeah. And it's, although Michael Michael Caine, uh, it's true. But I think he's, like, he's handsome man. But Scrooge Scrooge is not a sexy character. Um, I'm just thinking of if there is a way to sing one of the songs from that film in a sexy, in a way. sexy, sexy voice. There's a cold wind blows, it chills you, chills you to the bone. You <laughs> <laughs> just made it sound like, you are my rose, you are my rose, yeah. 
You are my Scrooge, you are my Scrooge, you are my Scrooge. <laughs> Imagine if Tommy Wiseau did a sexy Christmas film called The Scrooge. <laughs> I'd watch that in a heartbeat. Um, that, that also, would... I um, I was walking, when I was walking down the road earlier near my new house, I noticed there's a car dealership called Wise Wheels and it's a huge sign and it's in the same font as the room. Oh my god. That amused me. And now that you've seen that font in the room, it's popping up everywhere. I keep seeing it on things like that, like small businesses where they've obviously Googled like free free fonts that look a bit sort of logo-ish and yeah. just chosen it. Which is I think probably how he arrived at it for the room as well. But yeah, it's, definitely. it's a weird font. God, that's amazing. I, I haven't seen the room font anywhere else. But yeah. I'll have to keep my eye out for it. Um, wise wheels so um so what would the the rating be uh um how many spoonfuls of maple syrup would you put on your pasta that is literally what i was just thinking paddy no that is that is amazing i was thinking how many squirts of maple syrup would you put on your pasta squirts yeah you you had to go and try and make it sexy didn't you Uh, (laughs) 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 why don't you Come in and know me better, man. <laughs> I do always think that that line sounds quite sexual. <laughs> I've just made it ten times sexier. I mean, that's that is um, in the the Dickens source text, but it's that doesn't make it any any less, <laughs> any less erotic. Um, yeah, erotic. Yeah. M- Muppet owners, Disney Muppets. Um, if you, you lot, would like you Muppet lot, if you would like someone to create an x-rated version of muppet christmas carol um you have two guys right here who would do an excellent job um we we are here for you that there will be cheeses for them mises um in our version sexy cheeses for them mises sexy cheeses for sexy mises yeah Uh, that 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 is that is my promise to you (laughs) if you want this version of muppet christmas carol um Anyway, so how many spoonfuls of maple syrup would you put? I'd I will go for I'm going to say seventeen. Oh wow, that so is impressive. Pretty high because it was very it really really made me chuckle. But ultimately, you can't go any higher than that really because it's it's just a it's a silly bit of fluff. But yeah. it's a very very enjoyable silly piece of fluff that deserves its place, I think, in the canon of Christmas films. That is. Yeah, that's higher than I have gone. I was going to go with a 15. Oh, yeah. Um, so I'm really pleased that you enjoyed this film this much, Paddy. I did, um, yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, that's good to know. I, I really like this film. I like watching it every Christmas. Um, it has its problems, but seeing Will yeah. Ferrell struggle to get on an escalator is enough for me every time I watch this film. See, I think I want to score it highly because I want to hit back at the the Ferrell haters. Oh, some, yeah. some of whom are within my own household but how dare they <laughs> you know yeah because <laughs> i feel like as i said will ferrell is a great comic actor who does a lot of silly fluff and nonsense but you know is very very chucklesome yeah yeah definitely he was in that is, is it called casa de mi padre the the oh, spoof yeah. of the, I, the spoof of the that. telenovela which is such a niche thing to do um but it's absolutely wonderful um, it, there's a that lot of very funny. There's a lot of variety to the comedy that he's done, um, and so yeah, I, I like Will Ferrell. 
I even liked Anchorman 2, I think, is one of those few comedy sequels that works well. I don't think I've seen it. Um, it's n- it's not as good as the first one because so much <clears throat> of a comedy movie is based on like the tone and like the characters being fresh. Um, so whenever you have a sequel, it never works quite as well as it should do. But, um, but they managed to retain most of the original cast, right? It did, yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, it, it works well, all things considered. It, it is a good film. It's very much more of the same. You could watch it directly after the first one and it would just work well. Cool. I'm glad to hear it. Um, so in terms of things to share after our scoring, I have a little something for you. Um, it was sent in to us by a podcast listener. Um, and it is a horror story called My Curse, which I think you'll Ooh. get a kick out of. It's relatively okay. short. Um, so hopefully it won't take me too long yeah. to read it through. Is this is this listener anonymous? Are we allowed to know who it is? Uh, it is Lou. I imagine that she won't mind if we say her name. Okay. Um, but yes. So, one night I had a tough time falling asleep. So I decided to take a stroll through, uh, through the woods. And little did I know, it was only the beginning of the nightmare that is now my life. It was around 1.45am, a brisk night, a still night. Armed with my flashlight, I walked straight into the forest on the outskirts of my town. In hindsight, I should have noticed how quiet it was, especially for it being a forest in the summer. I should have noticed the lack of any noise. There wasn't even a breeze. Suddenly, there was the sound of branches breaking, as if someone were tearing them straight off the trees. I panicked, thinking there could be a bear or some other horrible creature ready to pounce. Little did I know, it was something much worse than that. Something far worse. I stopped walking and cocked my head to the side, hoping to hear the sound of footsteps so I would know which way to run if it came to that. I also picked up a couple of loose stones from the ground, mostly just to calm my nerves. A loud woo obliterated the silence. It sounded as if Ric Flair had a throat lubricated with bacon grease. I could almost smell the noise. I I flipped the switch on my flashlight to try and hide my location. A loud thumping accompanied the noise, and in the light of the full moon I saw a human shape come round a tree in front of me. It was about 15 feet away and nearly 6 feet in height. I heard a loud sniffing sound and I could see the outline of its head turn my way. It started coming closer and I started to feel adrenaline pump into my system. I turned tail and ran. I was sprinting as fast as I could and this guy was easily keeping pace with me. I tripped and rolled onto my back, knowing that in only a few moments my life would be over. Um... As a last-ditch effort, I decided to turn my light back on and mainly blind my pursuer. I waved the flashlight around wildly, hoping to catch his eyes in the light. Large black eyes reflected black, and I nearly peed my pants, thinking for a moment that I was looking at some extraterrestrial being. Once I took a moment, though, I realised that it was sunglasses. Who would wear sunglasses while in the forest at 2am? Why would anyone do that? I took in the rest of this guy's outfit track pants, snakeskin boots and a bright green bowler shirt with embroidered flames rising from the bottom. The shirt was also streaked with some dark liquid that I couldn't identify. I raised the light back up to the man's head. He had a black goatee with bleach streak down the middle like a racing stripe and bleach spiky hair on top of his head. He looked weirdly familiar like I had seen him somewhere before, maybe at the local racetrack, maybe we had passed in the street or something. I couldn't place him. He started to giggle as he approached me and opened his mouth. Without moving his lips, I heard this sentence emanate from him. You're taking the gobble full throttle. (laughs) 
he charged after that still laying prone on the ground there was a little defense as my uh, as his belly flopped on top of me like an inept diver the wind was very nearly knocked out of me and he tried to pin me down i grabbed hold of his arms and realized they were also covered in the same dark liquid that was on his shirt it was barbecue sauce i screamed and he yelled the sauce is money uh, with a sudden movement bit uh, deep into my shoulder tearing a chunk out of my muscle he twisted his head from side to side like an alligator and pulled his head back he swallowed my flesh as i lay there sobbing knowing that my life was over i could feel the lifeblood pumping out of my shoulder with each beat of my heart he made a smacking sound of his lips and said i could put this on a flip-flop and it would taste good he then climbed off me and flipped his sunglasses to the back of his head I had a moment of clarity and realised this man, this monster, was Guy Fieri. He looked me dead in the eye and said, Now that you bear my mark, you shall walk the earth for all eternity. You will haunt diners, drive-ins and dives until the sun burns out and no life is left on this planet. I'm driving the bus to Flavortown and you're coming along for the ride. Love, peace and taco grease. And with that, he let out a long, bubbling sigh. His body started to shake and convulse, and I noticed that his skin and clothes were slowing off, falling in chunks to the forest floor where it started to sink into the dirt. Soon only a skeleton remained, and that too crumbled away. I forgot all about my shoulder, as a new and horrible agony racked my body, causing me to twist onto my side and curl in the fetal position. I puked uncontrollably and shook. It felt as though my skin was splitting. The dropped flashlight illuminated my body as I looked down and saw that I was correct. Huge splits were running down my arms and it felt like the same could be happening on my legs. In the splits I could see something bright yellow but couldn't make it out as a fresh wave of pain hit me. My head seemed to stretch and bulge as if something forced itself out of the back of my head. I was on the ground screaming for what seemed like hours. At some point I blacked out. I awoke and realised that my voice had completely been destroyed from the screaming, but I also realised that the pain had started to subside. I looked around and saw my skin and clothes littering the ground around me, as if I had cast them off. I felt my face and realised I had grown a goatee, and sunglasses were now sitting on the back of my head snugly. I stared down at my arms and saw tattoos that had never been there before. Framing my arms was a yellow short-sleeved shirt with flames printed on the sleeves and bottom. It hit me like a ton of bricks. My worst nightmare had come true. I was Guy Fieri now. <laughs> Excellent. That is thirteen out of ten user-generated content. <laughs> so that was uh, that was apparently sent into the last podcast on the left, which is a horror podcast, um, which I've nice. listened to a bit of. But um, yeah, that was that was one of their listeners sent that in, and I just it's it's amazing. I mean, although th- that is brilliant, that that is framed as a horror story. But if that was to happen to me and I was to become Guy Fieri, I think um, I'd embrace it. Yeah, I'd embrace it. So, so thank you, Lou, for sending that on, and thank you to Jordan Spears, who was the initial writer. Um, thank you, Jordan. For... You are a god. Yes, that is incredible, isn't it? I mean, you can kind although of imagine when, that. When he said that the goatee was black, I thought maybe he actually meant Steve from Smash Mouth. <laughs> well, I think we've established that they're at least related. Yeah, or they they refer to each other as brother from another mother. So, I think that's the main thing. I think they're they're brother from the same mother. I think they're all playing us for for fools. Yeah, that was that was a very very good story. Great suspense and good reveals. Everything you want from a short story. It's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Barbecue sauce and Guy Fieri. 
Nice. Indeed. Speaking of Guy Fieri, uh, just before we started recording, I, I did, I'd done an Instagram post of the best Christmas card I got this year from a friend of the podcast, Tracy Dunham, who sent us a card of Guy Fieri, and there are two angels sitting on his head with musical notes coming out, and it says, Angels We Have Heard on Guy. So <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the best great. Christmas card I've had all year. Oh, that's brilliant. Um, what do you think Guy Fieri cooks on Christmas Day? Do you reckon he has like a big barbecue turkey gets the turkey on the barbecue yeah he has got a smoke uh, outside in which he's cooking a full turkey that's what he's doing on, on christmas day no doubts about it yeah in fact i've never thought to type in guy fieri christmas but i'm doing it right now i'll probably just get the guy fieri christmas special i get the snl parodies the guy fieri fake news i wanted some some barbecue recipes man <laughs> <laughs> anyway merry christmas to guy fieri and all of the fieri family and all of the pan men steve from smash mouth a whole lot yes. merry christmas to all of you people yes and merry christmas to our dear listeners as well Hope yes. you have a, a lovely day yes because this will be the episode that goes out before christmas day so hope you'll have a wonderful time the only other thing I was going to mention, just the inevitable film question. Now, have you seen The Last Jedi? I have, yes. Yeah, what did you think? Oh, that was great. I loved yeah, it. Have, I, have really, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. A I, lot of people seem to have real beef with the um, the comic elements of it and the the idea that it's a Star Wars film that actually knows how to laugh at itself. A lot of people seem to hate that. I thought it was really good. It was really epic. Although the, it felt like the whole time the rebels were under the gun. So it was like it was a bit relentless in terms of its pacing, and there was a lot of military strategy stuff. But no, I, th- I thought it was really good. Yeah, I I really enjoyed it. I thought the fact that it kind of messed around with what people expected was really good. Um, I I loved that there was so much more Poe Dameron, who I adore. He um, is awesome. I'd watch an entire movie just of him. Um, but I really liked um, Finn and Rose's storyline. I really liked Ray and Luke's dynamic. Um, Adam Driver's performance was amazing. Um, yep. There's that amazing fight scene with Adam Driver and Ray and the lightsabers. And I don't want to say too much more than that, but that was some of the yeah. most stunning action sequences I've seen in cinema this year. Um, and also, it seems to have pissed off a lot of people who have too much time on their hands. So come on. Uh, uh, what's the, not to love? The, the same people who are all like what about white chicks is it that the same pretty same much yeah one yeah. one of the main complaints about this movie again has been that the social justice warriors have taken over star wars yeah. um and and like there's that and then there's also um oh they've messed with the extended the expanded universe books again and this doesn't seem like it could fit in with the stuff that disney's already said isn't canon it's like well, what did you expect yeah. um and then, yeah, complains about the comedy as if there'd never been comedy in Star Wars before. Yeah, um, yeah. Star Wars is known for being super serious. There's never been any comedic elements in Star Wars whatsoever. Yeah. No one ever cracks any jokes. Um, and yeah, I wouldn't say that it's a perfect movie. Um, but, you know, it's really good fun. Um, yeah. It's enjoyable. I'd, I'd, I'd quite happily accept a 7 out of 10 Star Wars movie every year for the rest of my life. I'd have no problem with that. So yeah, keep rolling, too. keep rolling with it. So far, there's been a consistent level of decentness, which hasn't always been with Star Wars content. Um, um, yeah, I'm very happy about that. On the uh, on the subject of 
Poe Dameron, a boy, a boy Oscar Isaac. Have you seen Inside Lewin Davis? No, I haven't. We have it, but I've not watched That's it. That's uh, an excellent film. I, I think it has enough kind of romantic stuff that we can talk about it here. So I'd oh, cool. like to get on that early, early next year then, I guess. But in terms of next for this, so the next episode will still be December. I think it'll be something like the 29th and it's my choice. So, but I'm going to give you two options. So because it'll be a few years before, a few days, sorry, before we get to New Year's Eve, you could we could do the film New Year's Eve, which we've mentioned at various points on this podcast, or we could maybe do that the week after, after New Year, or we could just not do it, or we could do another Christmas film, because I do have another Christmas film in mind, mm. uh, which is along the same lines as the first Christmas film that we talked about this month. Mm. So we've seen one low budget travesty that was enjoyable. We've seen no. Well, I was thinking about <laughs> the Christmas Prince. How dare you discredit the room like that? Yeah, um, actually, that wasn't low budget, was it? So I think I would like to watch a high quality, high cost disaster. So let's watch New Year's Eve. Good, good let's call. Let's do it. Good call. Yeah, let's do it. Have you seen it before? I have. I went to the cinema to see this battle. Oh, boy. blimey. Okay. I, I have seen it before, but I did not see it in the cinema. Um, yeah, I am that dedicated to terrible rom-coms that I saw this in the cinema when it came out. Um, yeah, so let's let's do it. Let's do that. Good work. I'm very much looking forward to that. All right. Mainly, mainly for the bit where Ashton Kutcher is stuck in a lift with the girl from Glee. It's the two people that you wish had never got out of yeah. that lift. Although, Zac Efron... The Ephronator. He's in. Um, he's in the Disaster Artist. Yes, and he yeah. Plays, um, he's Chris R, isn't he? He plays Chris R, <laughs> and his performance is actually, yeah, is one of the best performances in the whole film. It's absolutely amazing. So he has gone up in my estimation thousandfold after seeing the Disaster Artist. See, I, I love a bit of uh, a bit of Zac Efron. In recent years, I've enjoyed the stuff he's been in. So yeah. the Ephronator, as my dad calls him. <laughs> So like um, my dad emailed us about Love Actually and The Holiday uh, before we recorded about either, or I think between, or we didn't get around to saying it about the, after the holiday. So we're just going to read out his email and then that'll do it for us. Um, so the subject line is Love Actually. Here it goes, really enjoyed this film for all the same reasons you didn't like it. I love Bill Nye, he's such a great man, but in Love Actually he was playing the same character as in The Boat That Rocked, a film that is possibly even worse than this Curtis masterpiece. <laughs> I th- do you think that's fair? I think I'd agree with that. I'd agree with that, yeah. The Boat That Rocked is terrible and has basically like a comic rape scene. Yeah. It's really, yeah, it's a very uncomfortable The The, the worst comic film. rape scene since Revenge of the Nerds. Um, oh, I've never seen that. Don't. <laughs> it's yeah. shite. All right. Um, it goes on there is only one Christmas film I hate more than love actually and that is The Holiday (laughs) (laughs) when Paddy was saying it's my choice next and I am going for I was saying please don't be The Holiday please don't be The Holiday (laughs) it may have to be the first of your podcasts that I miss why? firstly Jack Black's character is such a desperate watery wanky wet lettuce (laughs) 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 there is nothing that Black normally brings to the party in that character and what's with the limp, d- limp dick simpleton haircut? 
I, mean, I think I said at the time that it's it's a very unjack black character, but I didn't necessarily see that as that much of a bad thing because you know he didn't want it to be like and you know the legend of the band was way hardcore kind of character it wouldn't have worked but anyway but he says he goes on but even he is better than jude law's character he's the perfect man a catch the definition of a catch a single father so lovely with his kids he's a widower ah so vulnerable he's hard working he's a doctor or surgeon or whatever the fuck he is (laughs) (laughs) he's learning to love again in his stupid glasses that are clearly just to make him just 1% more vulnerable. <laughs> he even lives with beautiful little children in a cutesy-wootsy little cottage. But wait, he's also a man's man because he has one-night stands. Uh, yeah, I think that is, that's mostly fair, but I feel like <laughs> he's obviously just had a really visceral reaction to Jude Law, and sometimes you have that with actors, don't you? Yeah. Like, I, I get it, but I don't feel as strongly <laughs> about it. Also, he's not a doctor or a surgeon, he's a, he's a publisher, because as we discussed, everyone in London romantic films works in the media. Yes, exactly. Okay, um, almost there. The Kate Winslet dancing to Jet scene is cringeworthy enough, but we also get Cameron Diaz writhing like a dying lizard to the killers. <laughs> <laughs> I could go on, but I think I have vented my spleen enough. <laughs> my rating, two unnecessary puppies out of 20. Awful, awful, awful <laughs> film. <laughs> but here's the, here's the important bit. Nancy Myers escapes Trash Island because I quite like her films about the complications of love in later life. So that's a really good tip, I think, for future films. Because going back to, I think there's one with, is did she do that one? It's complicated. Is that Alec Baldwin? And, yeah, I think that was her, wasn't I it? I think yeah. that was her. So that would be a good one to discuss in light of that and the future. Um, <laughs> the final bit. Noel Gallagher can take her place on the Isle of Shite. Merry Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> I wholeheartedly agree with that sentiment. He can get on. He can get on the Isle of Shite slash Trash Island. Noel Gallagher is a terrible moron. He did some <laughs> interview recently where he said that people who write books are fucking idiots. He literally said that. That's, he's he's great. He is he is such an incredible voice of artistry. Um, who definitely didn't make a career out of um, stealing Rolling Stones and Beatles tracks. Yeah, and just generally getting press coverage by being a massive wanker <laughs> and saying stupid <laughs> things about anyone and anything. Ah, uh, Gallagher was voted the most overrated guitarist of the last millennium in a 1999 <laughs> poll of fellow players. <laughs> well, that's fair. Um, so, and yeah, the ninth most overrated ever... In a 2002 listener survey. So even his own fans think he's an overrated guitarist. (laughs) I mean, even his own fans know that he's a knob. Yeah. Um, Who is more of a knob, Noel Gallagher or Morrissey? That's a really tough question. Noel Gallagher is more of a historic knob because he's been a knob forever. And I never really liked Oasis's music. I think they've got about two good songs. Whereas Morrissey, I genuinely really, really like a lot of his music and really, really loved the Smiths. But he's almost, I think actually, I'm going to go Morrissey because he's become such a stupid and offensive and pretentious ass that, you know, with, with Noel Gallagher, it's uncomplicated. He says stupid things because he wants to get the press coverage and whatever, and he's just an, an ass. Whereas with Morrissey, you feel like he's trying to be on another level. But yeah, yeah. He's, and like at least leaking, reeking bin juice everywhere. 
<laughs> at least at least Noel Gallagher has been a consistent ass. There's a consistency to him. Yeah. There's a consistency to his ass. <laughs> and I've got to say, like, I, I vaguely like the Smith stuff. It's fine. Morrissey's own stuff is boring as all hell. But like at least at least Oasis have done like Fucking in the Bushes, which is a really good song. Like at least they've I done that. Heard it. It's really it's really good. It doesn't sound like Oasis in general. <coughs> um so yeah, that at least they've got that going for them. Whereas like Morrissey, eh. Mate, he could have just been replaced in the Smiths and the band would have been better. Soz mate. Yeah. That that's that's true. But they can both have some fun together on Trash Island. They can. They can hang out with Boris Johnson and they can all talk about Brexit. Yeah. Christmas on Trash Island. They they <laughs> only get sprouts and nothing else. Only sprouts. Not cooked fancily with like charots and lardon or anything like that. Just no. pressure cooked sprouts. No little crosses in the bottom. No. Just boiled to death so they smell extra farty. Yeah. Left out yep. to stew and then delivered yeah so on on that note we we will we will wish you a very merry christmas and hope that you find as much joy over the next few days in the season as we managed to find in elf as a very very joyful film and sets i think a good example of you know our just just you know have have a joyful gay old time yes yeah merry christmas everybody hope you have a lovely holiday and thank you so much for listening. You people listening is the best Christmas gift that we could have ever asked for, apart from a horror story about Guy Fieri, obviously. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But yeah, we, re- we really appreciate it. No. And we'll be back next week with our last podcast of the year, New Year's Eve. Yes, thanks very much for listening, everybody. And I uh, hope you enjoy the next episode. All right. Merry Christmas. It's the most wonderful time of the year. That was a little bit Johnny Cash there. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. Nice. I ate Brussels sprouts today to see (laughs) if I still feel I focus on the taste. The pungentness is real. <laughs> you could have it all. My <laughs> empire of farts. <laughs> uh, that was that was. Uh, I'm afraid that was a cover of a previous parody I did of a Nine Inch Nails song. Oh really? <laughs> there's there's source material. <laughs> oh dear. Um anyway, yes. <laughs> Merry Christmas everybody. Mm-hmm. That's enough of our warbling. Yeah. Yes. Merry Christmas everyone. And goodbye. Right, bye-bye. Bye.